Welcome to Outspoken Voices, a podcast by and for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer parents, people with LGBTQ parents, future parents, and everyone else who is part of our family journeys. I'm your host, Emily McGranahan, and I am the Director of Family Engagement with Family Equality Council. Again, thank you for joining us today. This podcast is brought to you by the PRX Podcast Garage. Their community hours program gives studio time and training to Boston nonprofits developing a podcast. Learn more at podcastgarage.org. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Outspoken Voices. You can find Outspoken Voices on our website, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Family Equality Council at familyequality.org and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Family Equality. Until next time, remember that love, justice, family, and equality is what brings our families together. The first time I publicly spoke about my family, I was 13, and the crowd was a room of LGBTQ parents and their children. So to say, like, not a tough crowd. And when I was 16, I was fed up with how people were talking about LGBTQ parents on a radio program, and I called in to put a voice to the real children of LGBTQ folks who are actually out there. And I called in, and it was terrifying, but I learned a lot, and I knew then that I had to keep speaking out. People with LGBTQ parents have been around for as long as there have been LGBTQ people, and speaking out has gotten easier for some over the years. But for someone like me who grew up before and during harsh debates about marriage equality, the right to parent, the basic human rights of LGBTQ people, all this speaking out isn't always easy. And that's why I am such a fan of Elizabeth Collins. Elizabeth is a comedian, storyteller, and writer living in L.A., Her one-person show, Raised by Gays and Turned Out Okay, premiered at the Hollywood Fringe Festival in June 2015, so just on the cusp of national marriage equality. And I haven't had the pleasure yet of seeing her perform, but I have read many of her fantastic articles. So seriously, I'm going to link to those in the show notes. Check them out. And it's hard enough to just speak out about having LGBTQ parents when you don't know how the people around you will react. And it's even harder to be really real and honest about it, to talk about the joy and the hard stuff. And Elizabeth just does that brilliantly, both talking about the challenging and the great things about our families and also going in front of, I think, imagine potentially tough crowds. So I am excited to have Elizabeth on the show today to talk about speaking out and to talk about her experiences. So welcome, Elizabeth. Uh, Thanks for having me. So just to start us off, how uh, how do you describe your family or who's in your family? I have a mom and a dad. They were married until I was about 11. And then my dad came out and he lived with his partner, Dale, who I considered a second father until I was about 20. So I have a mom and two dads. I'm married to my husband, Keith, and we have a toddler together named Axel. Do you remember... 
when you started telling your family story, uh, talking out and, and sort of speaking in more public ways about having a gay dad and, and gay dads? Yeah, it was not until I was into my 30s mm. and I moved to L.A. and I was taking a comedy class because I knew I always wanted to do stand-up comedy, but I was finally just giving it a shot. I never had any intention of talking about my family. I didn't realize it was something people even wanted to hear, which sounds so silly now, but at the time, it just didn't occur to me. And then... Um, I, you know, we had a thing in class where we would just talk about our day. We wouldn't even try to tell real jokes. And I told a story about how my dad called me at work to ask me about my bra size <laughs> because, you know, he worked at a place where they were having a sale on bras. <laughs> and it was just one of those situations where it was like, you know, no one else's dad is calling them at work. <laughs> and so people just died laughing and it's just so different. And, um, I decided to start telling stories and jokes about my dad, and it was it was interesting just the kind of response I got because I had made people laugh before, but this was different. It was like something no one had heard before. You know, people hadn't really heard, and they were just interested, and it was just funny because it was so unusual too. Did you get reactions that were different when when telling it in front of a class or a bigger space that was different than? I mean, I'm assuming that you had told somebody. More per, on a more one-on-one level, your friends or, you know, you would talk to somebody else about it. What were some of was the, were there differences? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was in high school and I lived with my dad and Dale, I mean, obviously, if people were coming to the house, I'd be like, you know, sometimes I wouldn't tell people and they would just ask, <laughs> are they gay? And I like, yeah. And then some people would be like, that's cool. And I lived in Texas. So I think it was just sort of you know, even though I had a lot of open-minded friends, there was just this air. It was in the 90s, too. So there's just this air of this is kind of a forbidden family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't just shout it from the rooftops, but I didn't necessarily lie about it. And, um, you know, I did have some friends that asked stupid questions, like, is one more like the mom and one more like the dad? Um you know, so I did get a lot of different responses. And then when I was in my 20s, I joined a very strict Christian church that believed homosexuality was a sin. And still, I didn't necessarily hide it. I wasn't going to lie about it, but it wasn't going around shouting it from the rooftops. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, in a lot of ways, it wasn't really until I was in my 30s where it became something I talked about regularly and started to identify with and realize that it's such a big part of who I was and my identity and my lifestyle. Yeah, what a change then from keeping it so personal to writing a whole show about it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what is it about comedy that was the right medium for you? Well, I think comedy and comedians are people who've been through some sort of shame and humiliation. <laughs> and comedy gives them an opportunity to laugh at that shame and humiliation and rejoice in it. And I think that's what happens. You know, I think it's not just that I have a gay dad. I have like a crazy gay dad. And I think I have one of these stories where it's like, my, and I think that's part of it is I was always scared to talk about my family, not be, not just because my dad was gay, but because he wasn't a perfect role model of a gay dad. For many years, I thought it was my dad's story and not mine. Mm. But when I go back and I look at all these things I went through, I realized that I had a unique experience, too, because he's gay, because I lived in a queer family. And to be able to, you know, express those times I was faced with humiliation and shame, you know, in our community 
and not 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 that I deserve to be shamed or should have been ashamed, but just because society did, you know, mm-hmm. shame us. You know, like what it was like to go to the grocery store in Columbia, South Carolina, with a white dad and a black dad. You know, that was an experience that was always kind of embarrassing. I always felt like people were looking at us and. Um, you know, being raised by a dad period is kind of weird, you know, as a girl. Mm-hmm. So I think that those types of things that might be common to some families, but more unique because my dad was gay, you know, like lot, there's people with, you know, interracial parents and there's people being raised by dads, but um, girls being raised by dads, but then you add this other element to it and um, makes it different. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any favorite reactions or, or strong memories of, of people reacting to you telling your story on stage? Um, you know, I think just whenever, um, like, an LGBT couple comes up, and you know they probably have kids, too, just how appreciative they were that I was telling that story. I think I was worried at first that you know, maybe heterosexual audiences would find it funny, but maybe LGBTQ parents wouldn't like it because they would think I'm putting a bad face on LGBTQ parenting. But, um, but no, I think they loved it because, it, you know, everyone loves to hear family stories, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially if you can hear stories that are family like yours. I think people enjoy that. So I think whenever I meet people like that, that's always the most heartwarming for me. Yeah, that. Was it hard to tell, to get comfortable telling those harder stories? I know that I, for many years, the the stories I chose to tell and the way I chose to answer questions to peers or if I was speaking in public was very much like, oh, no, my family is great. Everything's wonderful. And and it was just like it felt like I had to bottle up the real, the realness of real families. So you were yeah. you were worried about not the reaction from actual from the LGBTQ community that you know you're kind of letting the secret out that like gay parents are human beings and we our families <laughs> yeah. are complicated. Yes. You know, I had trouble with it at first too. And I think it was an it was an evolution that happened where I started to realize that some of the dysfunction in our family was due to homophobia and that's mm-hmm. why I needed to talk about it too. Because, you know, everybody's going to have problems, but I think that there are certain dysfunctions that are probably unique to LGBTQ families because they're marginalized. So I felt like I I should share this and I don't have to be ashamed of it because it's not that my dad is bad, (laughs) you know, not a great dad all the time because he's gay, but I think because the world didn't accept him for being gay. And that's something I say a lot because I think when you're marginalized your entire life, (laughs) it creates a lot of trauma. And um, I think a lot of things, you know, come from that. You know, a lot of the dysfunction in our family came through that. Uh, well, one of your, your pieces just really, really spoke to me when you, you were writing about Dale and your relationship with Dale, who is your father's ex, who was an, you're a dad, second dad for you for a number of years. And, I mean, that just really speaks true to me, too. So I had a person who was my parent for the first four years of my life. Um, they, my moms were they were together from for many years before uh, my biological mom like started you know actually pursuing uh, the road to having children and then when I was four they broke up and she remained in my life and we did the very 
the very appropriate, you know, divorced family every other weekend. You know, I would go to her house. Uh, but eventually she start, she took a step back from parenting and and is still in my life and still someone I'm I'm close with, but took took that step back from being a parent. And it was hard and it was you know, yeah, I just wanted to talk more about that particular piece or you know, what, what motivated you in particular to write that? Was that the spark of a particular moment to, to write that piece? Yeah, I think because doing my, um, you know, my dad and Dale separated when I was 20. And then I was in my 20s. So I wasn't, I don't think a lot of people in their 20s really, some do, but I didn't really think about my parents that much. You know, I was busy in school. Like I worked full time. I went to school full time. And that's when I was very religious too. So I went to school, at church all the time. And um, I didn't know what my relationship was to deal when they separated. Like what, what is my, not my relationship, but my role here, you know, how can I call Dale? (laughs) You know, it's very complicated and weird. And then when I started doing my comedy and I was talking about my dad and Dale all the time, it just started to bring up for me how important he was and just a consciousness of how much he was a part of my life for a very long time. I think something I set to the side because there wasn't a language and because it wasn't accepted, I just had to be like, Oh, he was just a little more than a roommate. But, um, in my heart, he was a lot more than a roommate. You know, he was like a second dad. So it took me a while to really realize it. And like you said, I don't think, um, we have a language for it because it's an LGBTQ family. They can't get married or, I mean, they can now, but at the time they couldn't get married or there just wasn't defined roles in how that works. So I think it was just very painful for me, you know, to realize like I had someone that was like a father, but I didn't have a relationship with them. And part of that was because of that, not having a language, not having defined roles, and um, finally getting to see him was just, you know, it was so validating because I had this feeling in my heart that he was more than, you know, mm-hmm. just some roommate. But um, I didn't know until I was face to face with him. And he even said, you know, I'm going to see my daughter today. And mm-hmm. I was just <laughs> so felt validated. Like, yes, he was a dad to me. Yes, we had all that time together. And it was special. <laughs> so... Are there and have there been topics or other topics that you have chosen not to write about? You know, you've kind of pushed some envelopes in in talking about LGBTQ families in your own experience. And there are other things that you still are not comfortable touching yet. I think if it's anything that has to do with only my dad, you know, mm-hmm. if it's something that's his story and not my story, I feel tempted to talk about it because I think he's such an interesting person and there's so much about his life that's interesting, but I feel like that's his story. And when it comes to something that deals with the way I was raised because of him, then I feel like that's, that's free territory. Mm -hmm. But that's it. You know, I don't think I've, you know, I feel like it's taken many years, but even things I thought I would never tell anyone, you know, like, I thought I didn't ever want to tell people that my dad kicked me out because I just think that is like one of the most terrible things you can do to a child. And I just, the minute I tell people my dad kicked me out once, they're not going to like him, you know, Mm. but for some reason, no matter what my dad does, people just think he's the greatest. So, (laughs) um, and we obviously worked through all those things and Mm -hmm. over time. So I was afraid to say anything he did that was really bad, you know, like just the worst. I think one of the worst things besides kicking me out is when he, 
even cheated on Dale, you know, and that was something where I just thought, oh my gosh, that's the worst thing. I would never want to tell anyone that. So I feel like I've already said the worst things that I think he could, he would have he ever did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think there is any tor- territory yet that I haven't um, been willing to talk about, unless it's something that's specifically his story and not mine. Would Would you tell him ahead of time before something that was published or before you added something to your show or your or your routine? Um, and if you did what were his reactions like? Well, before I did my show, I took him out to brunch and I told him <laughs> I was going to do a show. And then I told him what the bad parts were. I told him what the worst things were. And he was actually more worried about my husband's family seeing it because he wanted them to think he was great and not to know about any of our family's dirty secrets. But when he saw the show, you know, he laughed the whole time. He enjoyed it. And I think... In the show, I showed that, you know, these dysfunctions happen for a reason. You know, mm. made, like I said earlier, my dad might have just been a person that made bad decisions, but I think it's really hard to make good decisions <laughs> when you're a gay man forced to live a lie your whole life. And, um, and you know, we work through everything, too. So I think mm. I show some triumphs and humor and um you know, help make those stories easier to digest for people. Yeah. <laughs> um, plus, other people don't have perfect families. So I think, you know, other people can relate to some of the stories. But no, he, mm-hmm. he was fine with it. I think, you know, he was always nervous if my husband's mom would see it or something, but I've never, they've never seen it. But they know I do comedy and they know I talk about my dad. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's. That's funny. The keeping up the appearances with the in-laws being the the key point. <laughs> yeah, he didn't care if there was an entire TV show and he was famous and everyone knew everything, but just as long as <laughs> my mother-in-law didn't watch it, that was all that mattered. <laughs> so. Uh, well, so talking about this, and you had mentioned this earlier, and even in your bio on your website, you talk about living heteronormatively now, uh, which like, I hear you there. Um, what is that? What is that like for you to to be deeply connected to an identity of having grown up with gay dads and now living a life that, for some, may seem at at odds with that? This you know, married with a kid. You know, I'm glad you asked that because it is something I think about a lot, but mm-hmm. I haven't really written about or talked about because part of me thinks, well, why should it matter? I mean, if you're straight and you, you know, you marry someone, then why should it matter? Why should it be different? But I think being raised in a queer family, I do have different values and different mm-hmm. ways of living that I think I feel in my marriage. You know, like, for example, not too long ago, someone that I know through Collage, an organization for kids with LGBTQ parents, invited me over to his aunt's house for some dinner, and I wanted to go. And my husband was like, you don't know these people. You know, I've never met them. You want me to go to the you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and it made me realize, like, you know, throughout my life, because of the way our family had to create family, mm-hmm. like, I created family through strangers, through meeting people we barely knew, um, because we couldn't be around our own family. Mm-hmm. I just realized that it's just in me to create family in a different way than it's in my husband to create family. Like my way of creating family is strangers and people in the community, even if I just met them, you know, mm-hmm. yes, I'm going to go have dinner at the house where for him, you know, his parents, um, they're separated, but they all live in the same town. They live in the same town their whole life. 
and, you know, your family, you know, he's got an enormous family, so he doesn't have to go out and create family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's like one way I would say that I think I feel every once in a while. Yeah. And I wonder, even just like the chores around the house, um, I, I, me- oh. I know hearing about other people and like who did what in their house and how a lot of it fell, in, fell into traditional gender roles for my friends and, you know, for, in my house, it was whoever was basically willing to do that chore, <laughs> like whoever was least <laughs> resistant to that chore is sort of who who ended up doing it. And and that is something that is completely natural to me. And so the idea of not being in a relationship with or having a partner who expected something different was just it was never going to work. Um, so I felt very lucky, like when I met my people started dating Tristan, who became my husband now, like. I remember meeting him and seeing what he was like and his beliefs and how he saw gender and equality and justice. I was like, okay, but like you have to have had gay parents. Like I just did not believe that two straight parents could could make somebody like him. Like that just didn't make any sense to me because the only comparisons that I had to people who who could be so broad and open and flexible and not care about gender roles were people with gay families. Like that was just, that was the model that I had. Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel a lot of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially when you get married and you have a kid, I think gender roles come into play a lot. And I think it exposes a lot of how you were mm-hmm. raised, which I feel like I'm coming to terms with like all the time. And it's weird because in some ways um, I hurt myself because the way my, you know, it goes back to the way my dad raised me with the, you know, being sexist and stuff. So I think I tend to fall into traditional roles when I probably shouldn't be, you know, and mm-hmm. so I have to kind of find out, like, am I just, you know, doing this because I think I'm supposed to be doing this or am I doing this because, yeah, somebody's got to do it mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or what? So I think about it. I think about I, I, I'm really struck when you said that because I feel like gender roles, I think about it all the time. Especially since we had a kid, I think it's harder to try to establish who does what. And I do feel like I'm a default a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I try to wonder if that's, you know, because of the way we were raised or if that's just me being paranoid about it. Because my husband's a great guy. Like, he does a lot. You yeah. know, he's at home. And so, yeah, I hesitate to talk about it because he, he does a lot. But I think, like, just my own way of doing things if I just fall into that default um, on my own because mm-hmm. of just the way I was raised and also being a part of a church for, you know, a church for a good portion of my twenties where that was sort of the gender expectation too. So mm-hmm. sometimes I just fall into gender expectations on my own without any help from myself. Yeah. <laughs> but I did think about it a lot, you know, in raising a son, you know, mm-hmm. I think about, you know, wanting to not do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and him to see us, you know, me and his father as equal partners and everything. Mm-hmm. So with your, you, you talked in your article about, in one of your pieces about your dad and, and his role as a grandfather and, and uh, caring, being a, what was it, Grand Manny? Was that? Yeah, it's called the Grand Manny, yeah. Um, so how did becoming a grandparent or how did becoming a grandparent change your dad in your relationship? Um, it changed it a lot mm. because I think my dad had a difficult life. He had a very difficult, you know, upbringing. He was, you know, because he was gay, he was bullied at school. He was had problems with his own family. 
and then the divorce and you know when a, a gay person comes out later and they try to be in a relationship it's like starting over again mm. so there's this he's had a very difficult life emotionally but he's also had a very difficult life physically he has had health problems ever since I could remember and he was even diagnosed with leukemia when he was 50 on top of like a slew of health problems so I think that it improved our relationship because he always wanted to be a grandpa. And then when Axel was born, it gave him a whole, like, new, he even, these were his words, a new lease on life. Mm. It just gave him something to look forward to every day. It gave him something to do. And I think his health improved. And to take care of our son just brought him so much happiness. And it, I think because my dad went through so much, sometimes I felt like I was a parent, you know, mm. most of my life. And um, I think whenever I had a kid and my dad was helping me with that, it was like for the first time in a long time, I felt like my dad was being a parent, you know, mm. and that he was doing something for me and he was helping me. And that was a big load off my shoulders because I just got, to, you know, I love my dad and I always wanted to help him, but, you know, it gets exhausting when you want someone to be there for you and you're always there for someone mm -hmm. else so when um, Axel was born I think those roles reversed and it was it made it easier for me not to feel you know like a burden and just to feel like we could just be friends and enjoy each other's company and not feel like I was trying to help him with this or help him with that or or you know be all the many different roles I felt like I had to be for him mm. so you had mentioned, and I know I've, I've seen and you shared on social media that you recently lost your dad and yeah. which, just, you know, my heart just really is with you and, and your family. If you're okay talking about it, what ha has that impacted your, your memories of growing up with your dad or, or what you knew about your dad? really not yet I think mm. it's just too early he passed away about two months ago but um, I think it will eventually because going through his things I'm learning other things about him and stuff that are funny it really has nothing to do I don't think it will affect it too much because I think especially because I've written so much and I've performed so much I've kind of mined my memory mm. <laughs> to a degree where I have all the memories I'm going to have and I've thought about them a lot. Mm -hmm. I think some of the things will probably be the more recent memories, but I don't know. It makes me grateful. I just, I feel grateful for the memories we had. And I, I think even though I do talk a lot and I've talked a lot about my dad and our dysfunctions and stuff, I have to say for the most part, I mean, part of the reason we made it through all this dysfunction is my dad is a great guy. He's mm -hmm. so much fun and he's a memorable person. And I really appreciate that we took every chance we could to make memories and to do things because we knew he wasn't going to live forever. He had an illness. Um, unfortunately, we're not sure if he died of that illness or just the flu, but um, and he went a little bit sooner than we'd like. But I think we knew it wasn't going to be much longer, and mm -hmm. so we did do everything. You know, we went to South Africa together. We, you know, we saw Barbara Streisand. <laughs> we, you know, we did everything that, you know, we wanted to do together. And I don't feel any, you know, I have very few regrets. Mm -hmm. I have to say that. Um, so two of the the big pieces that we've talked a lot about that I wanted to then ask you about are, you know, your dad and came out and your parents divorced when you were 11. So do you have any any advice or, or thoughts for anyone who's maybe going through something like that now? 
Yeah, I would say find other people, mm-hmm. you know, that have gone through it before and become friends with them and talk to them, even if you don't think you need it. Because I think when I was younger and uh, I was going through it, I thought I was fine and handling it fine and it didn't matter. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I looked back and I just see how much all these things affected me and how lonely I was because I was the only person going through all of it in my life. You know, even my brother, I wasn't very close to. So I was the only person experiencing all these things by myself. And it wasn't until I was well into my thirties that I was connecting with people. And it's the most amazing feeling when you meet someone else who has a family like yours. And I think, I think I would make that a priority if you're going through something to find other people that have gone through it too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I want to echo that strongly. Uh, and then any any advice for people out there, especially young people with LGBTQ parents who want to tell their story or want to get on stage and tell their story someday? Uh, do it. <laughs> <laughs> you can take classes online. There's tons mm-hmm. of classes online. And it depends on what city you live in. But there's a lot of um, there's a show called The Moth where anyone can go up and tell stories. Um, it's a drawing. I would just find opportunities in your community to tell stories or just write it or, you know, anything. Because I think the more I write about it, the more I just um, express myself, I just feel better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because of the complexity, you know, and, and I'm kind of stealing these words from Kaylee Fry, who, who leads uh, Collage that, you know, it helps when someone can hold your complexity. And I feel like through writing, through expressing myself and, and people receiving that, um, it makes me feel like just real. Mm. I don't even know any other word to explain it is when you don't have a language and, you know, there's no examples of you out there in the world. You know, you can feel like, I don't know, like you're, you don't exist or your experiences don't exist. And then whenever you go out and you can share it with somebody, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. Absolutely. I agree. And I'll include in the show notes as well links to different collage resources that are out there. Um, Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. Again, thank you for joining us today. This podcast is brought to you by the PRX Podcast Garage. Their community hours program gives studio time and training to Boston nonprofits developing a podcast. Learn more at podcastgarage.org. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Outspoken Voices. You can find Outspoken Voices on our website, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Family Equality Council at familyequality.org and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Family Equality. Until next time, remember that love, justice, family, and equality is what brings our families together.